Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. In this episode, we're going to wrap up our series on standing out from the crowd, and we're going to be talking about the evolution. So we're live now, and our episode's been released, and we've been sharing with friends and family and on social media and things like that. And Peter's mom bagged us on, on Apple Podcasts and only gave us three stars. Peter, what's oh. up with that? Going straight for it right at the beginning, huh? She yeah. said you have to be funnier. You know, you're you're just too you're too serious, Robert. Too serious. Well, that's good feedback. But is she going to go back and change her rating if I tell a few jokes? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps uh, there's some influence that can be had there. All right. I mean, it's your mom, man. It's your mom. <laughs> you figure like half of your DNA comes from her. We should at least get at least get four stars. Let alone yeah. Five. Well, yeah. You should see my rating. It's, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> exactly. We need to we need to improve. Your son Yelp rating is quite low. Uh, <laughs> so let's cover the previous two episodes. So in the previous episodes, we were talking about how wine brands have a lot of increased competition, and they need to find ways to stand out. And so traditionally, a lot of wineries had leveraged wine scores, and those are still important for many wineries, but they're not as important as they were in the past. And then we also covered the classic business models for wineries where we talked about going, becoming a cult winery, working through the trade or leveraging hospitality. And what was clear from us in the takeaways is that businesses must evolve these to still be successful. Right. The industry is really at the early stages of this evolution. The wine industry tends to follow behind most other industries. It, it lags a bit. I mean, we're farmers at heart in a, in a lot of ways and a little bit slower to adopt new technologies. And a lot of the winery world is in the luxury space, which tends to want to see how things play out and not rock the boat too much and not do anything too experimental. That said, with the COVID pandemic happening, it sort of forced an acceleration where wineries were looking at a lot of different ideas like digital and social and all these other things. Now they're being pushed and forced into it. And I think that's, it's great. It's really accelerating the industry forward by two or three, maybe five years from what it would have been otherwise. Nothing like a pandemic to get you motivated and increase awareness. And social media is great for increasing awareness. And, and I, I tend to think of social media content in three layers. The first layer being like, how does the product or brand owner talk about their brand? The second one is how do people who receive the product or get paid for the product, whether that's influencers or psalms or whatever, talk about their product. And the last one is how do their consumers, the people who actually paid for the product, how do they talk about it, whether they love it or hate it? Like, What do they do to communicate around their love or hate for this product across social media and in their content? Well, and you're an influencer, Robert. So tell us a little bit more what you think about the influencers. Influencer, blogger, whatever term you want to call it, whatever platform, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, you know, they all have their pros and cons. You know, they leverage content differently, whether it's video or content or pictures. And I think that that you have to understand each of these platforms and understand how people are leveraging that content and how they're building community to be effective. And I could say I do pretty well for not really showing my pretty face on a lot of photos. I get I get pretty good numbers. But there's definitely people who are way better looking than me that do really well, but maybe don't put as much time and effort into the wine content. And it's different, you know, they're targeting different demographics and that's okay. And I think it's a very important for brands to understand 
if they're going to work with an influencer or a blogger or something like that, or even, or Psalms, who is their audience and it doesn't line up with their brand. And, you know, when I look at like a lot of the Psalms that have had these rare, not necessarily cult level wines, but wines that are hard to get and kind of critically acclaimed in the Psalm community using the hashtag Psalm life, they tend to share and kind of like brag, like, here's what I was drinking or here's what I got a taste of tonight. And that's been interesting because those wines have been really popular on Instagram. I know have created more hype and demand around these wines in the retail space. I think you call me a social media noob, but I only use the hashtag Psalm Life when I try to get my two-year-old niece to smell wine. <laughs> That's what I use it. <laughs> yeah, not exactly the, <laughs> the, right, the right use of the hashtag, but we'll, we'll work. We'll work on that, Peter. One of the times I have seen that be really successful was a friend of mine, Jamie Motley, released her own winery, Jamie Motley Wines, and Raj Parr is a good friend of hers and big supporter. And I think mostly through that social media, got the word out and she sold out her first two releases in three days. I think that it made it a sommelier favorite and also translated into a lot of success. And I think what a success, I mean, obviously, anytime you're speaking about your brand in a successful way is when people are understanding your brand. And and if your consumers are doing it for you, that's the best. And that'll create sort of virality. And virality for me is really when people that see the post aren't necessarily or see the content that aren't necessarily following you. And that shows the reach of either that person or that content. And it could be a combination of the two as well. And the digital world is more than social. So as we think about how we engage in the digital, new digital world and environment, how we connect with customers better, is it's changing so much. Right. I think email is still the best way to communicate to your customer base. It's got the highest conversion of any marketing programs, but more and more it's getting filtered out and lost and non-responsive. So click-through rates and read rates are dropping over time. Yeah, that seems so counterintuitive because with all the spam filters and junk mail, that email is still the most effective. How can that be? I think people haven't thought of a better way, right? Like, I mean, you might answer your social DMs more and and things like that, but there isn't like a MailChimp for DMs, at least not yet, right? Or a campaign monitor, that kind of platform that allows you to hit thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people at once, right? And what I've seen, I think, happen is that everybody, and even even I think this exists for us too as, as users, as just consumers, is we have so many different ways people communicate to us. Now, fortunately, they all go through one device for the most part, or two devices, basically your phone and your computer. But I have people who WhatsApp me, email me, text me, send me a Facebook messenger, DM on Instagram, right? They're all different things, and different people have different preferences for different ones. It's a little annoying, but it's like, Sometimes I know, oh, to talk to this friend, I need to use Facebook Messenger to talk to this friend. I need to use WhatsApp to talk to this friend. I I text, right? And so I think having the ability to communicate through multiple channels can get through to a bigger percentage of your customer base, especially if you allow them to choose which channel works the best for them. I think text messaging is the new email when that becomes more mainstream for the tools to have a MailChimp for for text messaging. I mean, that is people open their texts that you may get junk texts, but you open them. 
Yeah, and now it's getting easier to put links in where when you have a text that you can go directly if you want to buy something, like if an offering's coming out or you're releasing wine or something like that, right? So that's definitely there. I know Saxum and Paso, they have text reminders for their offerings and allocations. I know, you know, some of the wineries I work for, we've experimented with like add to calendar to remind you of when the offerings were coming out. I know non-wine people, but like Live Nation, the concert site, would use automated communications via Facebook Messenger, right? Because they could do some programming on that. And who knows, maybe it'll be more social media or Zoom or something like that in the future, right? One of the other things I think uh, that's using digital to engage with your customer base better is that live chat function on some websites. We talked about that a bit with Tim Marson of wine.com and with Lauren actually at Tribeca Wine Merchant. So retailers are really using it well. I haven't seen as many wine brands do it, but I think that could be a way to be a customer service function in a sort of a lower risk way or not or lower engaged way than a phone call or, or in person. Yeah, I think the automation part of that is the difficult part, but the actual connectivity with an individual on the other end that can actually chat back and forth real time, I think that's huge. And then that can be a great segue to, okay, hey, do you want to just chat on the phone? Like, let's get an actual phone call going and close the sale. So I recently bought a wine fridge from Wine Enthusiast because I have too much wine being sent to my house. And we started with a chat, eventually went to an email, then eventually went to the phone, and then that's what closed the sale. And there's even like what I'd call the basics of digital. So things like SEO or search engine optimization, right? Having your website set up with the right keywords that sometimes that aren't even necessarily visible on your site, but they're meta tags or other things in the background of the site that allow Google and other search engines to hit you in the right search words and, and search rankings so that you show up higher up in the search rankings. That's key. And they're constantly changing their algorithms. So you kind of need to keep up with the times. And that's is, it's why you see some sites have like blogs or other things is to show up more in search terms. Yeah, and I think that's really important to have those blogs and other, uh, other search terms so that you're getting better SEO on your content that's out there. As social media and other content becomes more search extensible, I think that will also be important. But what I would say is that obviously the algorithm is always changing, but also the dynamic pricing of those words. So if, if certain mm-hmm. words become really, really hot and really trends, the price to show up in those searches becomes more and more expensive. So if like natural wine is super hot, like those words may become slowly more expensive and not be as effective. So that there's that supply demand aspect with AdWords. Well, and that, and that I think plays more into SEM and search engine marketing, right? Where you're paying to have your site show up higher for certain search words, right? And I think that can be very effective, especially for like retailers, Right. If someone's searching for best uh, Napa Cabernet, then wine.com or KNL or someone shows up on the top, right? If, if they bought ad for that ad where it was sponsored tag, and we've seen very high conversions through those. Making sure that you set up your website for SEO is important, but then if you that will also then segue into you be able to do SEM so that you can process the right keywords and, and get placed up higher and know that what you're paying for and works for the for the algorithm. All right, so let's talk about less kind of basics, more the future, augmented reality. Out of Australia, the 19 Crimes brand has soared with their hugely successful augmented reality where you download a special app and you learn about the British criminals who were committed one of the 
offensive 19 crimes of the day that are then exiled to Australia. And if they survive the voyage, they get to build a new life for themselves. And so take this app on your phone and you look at the bottle and that criminal on the label will talk about one of their crimes and what they did and what they're doing in the future, what they're, what they did to be on the bottle. It's very compelling content. It's like Pokemon Go for adults and wine. Well, that's a great example. My co-author of Luxury Wine Marketing, Liz Tosh, is a professor at Sonoma State. She, she's always told this story that she has her class try that wine blind, and they don't really like the wine that much. And then they try it with the label, with the AR, and they all love it. <laughs> and then they're all surprised that it's the same wine later back. So I think it can have a, a big difference in the perception of quality in the wine. It's like when you go on vacation and you're in the middle of nowhere in some place in Europe and you're like, oh, this local wine's so good because I'm like relaxed and having a and having this, you know, local wine that I don't even know what the grape is, but it's just so beautiful. I'm gonna buy three bottles and you take those bottles home and they're not very good. Um, it's the exact same thing. You create that ambiance with that AR app. That's exactly what augmented reality is all about. Or it was the wine sitting in the, the luggage depot in Greece at a hundred hundred degrees for two hours. Details, Peter, details. <laughs> so obviously there's companies that are specializing in augmented reality. This is something that looks like people are investing in. So there's been claims by one company, at least, uh, that is an AR tech company for the wine industry, that they're going to be bringing augmented reality to all Australian and US wines in 2020. And there's kind of this pay-as-you-go model. It's, there's a free entry point for wineries, but then wineries can buy a, a monthly subscription to kind of increase their awareness and their presence and increase their functionality for these augmented reality labels. Well, and outside of the digital space and maybe outside of the COVID pandemic world, one of the things that's really been evolving is hospitality and experiences, right? It's well known that millennial and Gen Z consumers tend to prefer experiences. So a lot of those have been expanded and involved in the wine world. We're seeing a lot of like Food pairings becoming common, food and wine pairings. So I know B Sellers and Diamond Creek do that in Napa. Donham and Scribe do that in Carneros and the Sonoma part. A lot more wineries are becoming by appointment or exclusive and private tastings. I went to Quintessa once in, in Napa and they built, literally built private pavilions dotted in the vineyard so that they can take people out, walk through the vineyard, you sit there with a great view and have this exclusive private tasting of their wines. And Bill Harlan of Harlan Estate fame, his newest project, Promontory, is built with that high-end tasting experience in mind. You start with champagne usually and then walk you through this very expensively designed place for these very high-end expensive wines. Well, Hall Wines, their Rutherford Estate is one that I always think of where you go to their estate and you're looking over these great views of the valley and then you go down into the custom-made cellar with trapezoidal fermenters that are all like really avant-garde artwork all over the place. Then you open these cellar doors and you it's like you time shift from the, the future into like 200 years in the past and you're going into cellars where the bricks are imported from the Habsburg dynasty from Austria and Hungary and brought over and each one's got a stamp on it. And then you walk down to this giant architecture and room where there's a 30 person table and you have this 
amazing experience. And this winery has been on many, many coffee table book covers because it's so beautiful with that vine architecture sculpture that's above that table with Swarovski crystals. Pete Buttigieg uh, had a fundraising campaign there. And so it made a lot of the papers as well. It's like, people are in this crazy wine cave trying to raise money for the Democratic Party nomination. And, uh, you know, it's it's high end and swanky, and but it, it kind of fits the bill. He did get some flack for that. I, I think most of the wines they sell in that facility are super expensive, like three to 500 plus. Yeah. But I yeah, think that I think that night they were selling their quote unquote mid-tier Catherine Hall or, or tasting their mid-tier Catherine Hall, which is still like 175 bucks a bottle or something like that. But outside of these high-end or, or exclusive experiences, one of the things we've been talking a lot about as an industry is instead of people having to come to us, how do we take that experience on the road, if you will, right? And whether that's physically like doing events outside the winery or now virtually with a lot of private virtual tasting experiences. So there's the virtual tastings people are doing where anyone can join and it can be a big group. But some some wineries are also doing sort of one-on-one, the equivalent of you going to the winery, but just via video. And I think that can lead to better customer connections and more of the brand message getting communicated through more clearly and creates more of a personal connection with, with customers. But when wineries do travel and go on the road, I think they could benefit a lot from having some of these other tools like augmented reality or virtual reality or even just physical tools and props to really bring the experience alive. It's not the same as going to the winery. So you need to figure out how to get some elements of going to the winery on the road with you. And all of these big wineries are already doing this internationally anyway. It's about how do they do it inside their domestic market, especially when they can't get their consumers to come to them on a regular basis. But let's talk about the real brand personas. Right now, the vineyard, the estate, the founder, the winemaker for all these wineries, the brand persona for all of these things are largely homogenized into one. And it's kind of hard to differentiate those. There are some people who have been successful in sort of, hey, I'm the winemaker and this is my winery and I'm going to have two different brands. and, and I, Or even... I have two different wineries and I'm going to decouple them with a very similar name if there's different locations. But it can be confusing to a lot of the consumers. Yeah. And it's really challenging. I, you know, and I think a lot of wineries try to differentiate with their wine growing process. They want to focus on the different elements that they believe are unique in the vineyard or in the winery. And to be fair, I, I tried to do that too, right? With some of the brands that I used to work for, I created a value proposition or, or a pitch that I tested out with uh, the Wharton Wine Club or a few different wine clubs, Wharton Wine Club and the NYU Wine Club. I gave this pitch. I showed pictures of how we were different and how we made the wine. You know, they tried the wine. And, you know, since I had some inside connections for some of those clubs, we went out to dinner afterwards and I, you know, kind of asked them like, hey, so what do you remember? Like, what was that pitch? Does that sound different? And do you remember anything from compared to all the other wineries that have come here and, and, you know, talk to you guys? They're like, we love the wines. We loved it better than all these other famous wineries that went and tasted with them. But, but the story sounded the same. I was like, oh, okay. I think that's where we get lost as an industry where I know as someone who understands the making process, this is really different. And, but to a consumer, it all sounds the same. 
Right. How do you distill it down so they can process it? And so let's go through a couple of examples throughout the history. So obviously there are instances where someone like in the Loire Valley, uh, like Nicolas Jolie, is famous for biogenic farming. He's more famous in many ways than his winery or even that his wines are good. It's more of like, you're like, I respect them because I respect the process versus like, do I actually really like this wine or not? Yeah, I mean, that's a great example where that persona is so big, it almost transcends the winery and, and lifts the winery up, right? I think one of the other great examples of all time is Dom Perignon, right? When you think champagne, you think Dom Perignon and you think you imagine this monk, you know, kind of with his hood over his head and being, you know, in the cellar, playing with champagne, creating champagne, being like the father of champagne. I think people think he invented it, which is not completely true. It's sort of like a movie that's based on reality, but it's It's a champagne Santa Claus. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But I mean, and it's, it's a fantastic wine, but it's that they've really created the story and made that brand alive with this persona attached to it that has this history and legacy to it that has done immensely well. So let's talk about a couple of modern examples. There's sort of scribe and they they've created a brand where when you go to the scribe tasting room it's you're pretty much seeing specific vibe they're targeting a specific audience and that's fine they know their audience they know their demographic and they're creating their content and creating their brand around that audience in my mind that's a very successful example of everything their brand is speaking to their target audience and it is a popular place to go and then there's ashes and diamonds which is relatively new it's but it's kind of got this like mid-century modern that 70s show kind of feel and vibe to a little bit more upscale than that 70s show, which is largely taking place in someone's basement. <laughs> um, but, you know, Smoking weed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, food pairings and tea service. Uh, you know, kind of outside the box, but definitely a very tailored experience that is, you know, very San Francisco in many ways. One of the ones that I, I really think is unique is Slow Down Wines. They really get you to laugh. They're, there's some like naughty, racy humor to it. So even their rosé is called Send Nudes. And and the bottle has uh, the founder's phone number on it for you to send some nudes if you want to. And, and I hear that he actually has got some, but none that you'd really want to see. That It's so clear their brand personality plays well to a certain niche of people who, who do that. So their tagline is even seriously good wine that doesn't take itself too seriously. So that brand persona is very defined. And I think a lot of people can attach to that and, and enjoy that. Yeah, I love the gimmick there. I think it's it's charming as long as it's not offensive to people. Yeah, and it might be offensive to some, but as, as long as it really resonates with some group of people, then it can be successful. One of the, the interesting things, I think, as we become super digital is that what is normal in terms of trends is that the old is new again, right? So I think a lot of old school ways of engaging with customers are becoming effective again. So in this very digital world, adding a bit of a personal touch can be quite useful. I was doing this survey and was at the old McKinsey office in San Francisco and saw one of the the partners who's in sales and marketing that I know. And I was actually questioning him, uh, just just chit-chatting. And I I was like, email is getting less and less effective these days. Do you, you, you deal with this and across all industries, what are you seeing as being more effective these days? And he was like, you know, one of the things is that we're seeing that's actually becoming more effective is physical mailers, 
right? Because they stick around with people. They don't throw them out uh, that often. So I think those can be effective. They can also be very expensive to get right, to design, print, and mail. Well, post office is having their own issues. The other thing I've heard from different marketing firms is that phone calls are being more effective, at least now during sort of shelter-in-place pandemic times. People have actually been answering their phones more since they're at home. So the answer rates have been a little higher. I would say prior to that, phone calls were less effective because there were so many spam calls that no one really wanted to uh, answer a phone call that was unknown on their phone. Clearly, you're not on enough Zoom meetings if you can answer your phone during shelter in place. <laughs> it's just, it's just not me, but like uh, <laughs> other people apparently. And, but I think both of those types of old school interactions can have a real modern approach to them if they're very targeted and use a lot of the data that's available now in technology to filter the customers and target who you're going to send those things to to have a much higher effectiveness. If you just blanket send it, I think the ROI on that kind of campaign is not going to be good. But if you target it very well, that could be very powerful. Yeah, I mean, with a lot of these things, segmentation of your database to give the right technique for the right user is is going to be key. And I think something we hit on with one of our interviews with Lauren McFade from Tribeca Wines. So, and then the you know, other, the ultimate old school is obviously word of mouth, and and that's really evolving. Whether it's in person or digital, these things can scale with the technology. So, because so much communication is happening from your phone. There are so many times that if someone wants to spread something, they're not just verbally telling someone. They could be telling their whole community, and you never know who you're going to get. And so whether it's LeBron James or whether it's you know Joe Schmo down the street, uh, even if they're telling – Joe Schmo's telling their six people he knows and LeBron James is telling his six million followers, that word of mouth really, really matters and helping making sure that you can convey your brand to help instill that message as they communicate out about your brand is, is really key. And then there's obviously retailers who are doing referral programs. If you get other people to join, either discounts or awards for you, those are things that I think are definitely more and more commonplace. And you see this even with Amazon doing this with their influencer program, setting up you know influencer pages or even wine, some wine retailers are doing something similar as well. Yeah, some brands have really done some variants on that referral or word of mouth, trying to incentivize word of mouth. There was a time, I think, you know, five, six years ago where where this idea of the Tupperware party for wine was a thing for a while. I remember, I, I believe Jean-Charles Boisset, some of his wines were doing that kind of scheme. I'm not sure if that's still active or not. And I know like Sea Smoke in Santa Barbara in the Santa Rita Hills, they implemented a scheme where you could actually like, it's an allocated offering winery where you could share your allocation with your friends and family. And they could basically take a piece of your allocation and skip, you know, the waiting list to get that wine. Yeah. I mean, definitely if you want to stay on the list, but, and you can't, you don't want to take the allocation and you want to give out part of it to stay in good standing on that list. I, I, I think that's an ingenious way. Yeah. So we talked a lot about a lot of different areas It'd be interesting to know as we wrap up here, what would you bet on? What, what do you think is a trend versus a fad? Boy, Peter, you know, I, I think dynamically communicating with your user base through whether it's social or, or Facebook Messenger or phone calls or text, I think those are there's technology that's enabling us to dissect your user base and communicate with them in their preferred method 
And I think that's here to stay. I think that that is, we're going to go big into that in the, in the coming years. And I think that if you're, if people need to be thinking about how, what's the best way to communicate their user and trying to make sure they can deliver their message in that platform that meets that user where they're at. In terms of fad, you know, I think some of the things where you need a whole separate app or like they're, they're cool and gimmicky, but unless it becomes kind of mainstream tech, like every wine brand having an AR app is just not going to work. If there's one AR app or if it starts to roll into one of the major apps that are on your, on your phone, whether it's uh, Facebook or Instagram or anything that becomes really mainstream popular in the future, like if they have an AR component that just naturally reads those, that will be huge. Having a separate app that is, in my mind, just you know a trend, and I downloaded it because it was a gimmick, and it's not going to be here for very long. Yeah, I kind of think that definitely a, a lasting trend needs to be having a defined brand persona because getting that brand message and that persona of who the brand is or what the brand is it will be something that distinguishes people for a long time, right? It's that story to tell. It's something that gives it real, almost physicality and, and meaning to, to your brand. Probably a fad for me is the Tupperware parties. I just don't know how many people will want to carry the inventory and learn kind of the brand message or maybe be able to deliver the brand message if they're drunk and doing <laughs> wine tasting properly and and I think that might be not as successful as some of the other things. Well, we covered a lot. I mean, I think this is a good lead into our future episodes on uh, social media and where things are going. Let's call it there. Thank you, Peter. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, Shame. cheers. Cheers.